Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right. Well, welcome to the Gospel for Life again, and we are going to finish up our series on marriage and divorce today. We were just talking off the air about how the last couple of days have kind of been a downer because we've had to talk about these hard things, about how sin has affected marriages, how um, divorce, which was not God's plan from the beginning, has crept in not only in the the marriages in the world, but also in the marriages in the church. And so we kind of want to finish off this series by talking about how the gospel can actually transform a marriage. So let's start maybe negative first and then end with positive. So negatively first, if you are in a marriage, brothers, and your, your spouse wants, you know, basically nothing to do with you or treats you with contempt or whatever, what do you do? How does the gospel empower you mm. to stay in that marriage? Yeah. The very first thing to do uh, is to turn to Christ, to repent of your own sin, and to seek the Lord, and to be refreshed in your own relationship with Christ. And I don't mean that in a selfish way or to in, you know, ignore, your, ignore your marriage, but part of the way relationships go sour is when we get our gaze fixed on the other person and not on Christ. Uh, set your gaze on Christ and your glance on everybody else in the world, including your spouse. And that, that's where health uh, can begin to be restored uh, in the marriage. Regardless of what your spouse does, you set your heart on Christ and, and seek him first. Can I add something real quick to that? So I think what helps with that, there was this great chapter um, on the Beatitudes by this author named um, R.W. Glenn, and he talked about how one of the applications of the gospel is that realizing that you have nothing to defend. You have nothing to defend. And if people really knew how bad you were, they would say worse things about you than they do, and they would alienate you worse. And so that's what the – I mean, brothers and sisters – you were so bad that the Son of God had to put on flesh and had to be nailed to a cross for your sins, for your sins. And if you let that permeate your soul and you realize, oh, I have nothing to defend, then when accusations come against you or when you get ignored or abused in, you know, in a way that doesn't break the law, then you can preach that gospel to yourself, hey, I have nothing to defend, but Jesus still loves me anyway, and that will empower you to take on the little, the quote-unquote little offenses that you're actually suffering. Yeah. That, I'm not trying to understate the case. I'm trying to help with gospel truth. No, no, and you're absolutely right. And, and the temptation in any conflict, whether it's marital conflict or any other conflict, the temptation is to say, well, if only the other person would do X. If only the other person would change this. If only he would do this. If only she would do that. No. Turn to Christ and examine your own heart and your own life. Let the Holy Spirit do a thorough examination of your own heart. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
And I'm just going to provide a little bit of scriptural support for what these guys are saying. Um, in Matthew um, chapter 5, Jesus says that we need to love our enemies. And unfortunately, sometimes that's your spouse. Mm-hmm. I wish that wasn't the case, but I think there are people in marital situations where one of the people they dislike the most is their own spouse. And the call of God is love them and pray for them. But then I think that there's a call then that says, okay, and then who are you supposed to be in Christ? You're supposed to be one that has love that is patient and kind, that doesn't envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude, it doesn't insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful, doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's 1 Corinthians 13. That doesn't mean, and Josh said it well, that doesn't mean that we're encouraging things that are sinful. So you don't live in an abusive situation and say, well, I'm going to bear all things. That's not, that's not what 1 Corinthians 13 is saying. Um, so please don't hear me say that. I'm saying that if we can be in, in, a, in a loveless marriage, if you will, that's not abusive, that's not harmful, that's not threatening, continue to bear up, continue to love, continue to endure. But it, then it's really Galatians 5. Really, there's a choice. Are we going to live according to the flesh or are we going to live according to the Spirit? And the, the, the works of the flesh, Paul says, are evident. That's envy. That's strife. That's, that's contentiousness. That's, that's all of these negative things. Or are we going to live by the Spirit? Are we going to keep in step with the Spirit? And well, how do we keep in step with the Spirit? Well, Christ tells us we keep in step by, with the Spirit by abiding in Him and abiding in His Word, that we allow the Word of God to permeate us. As Phil was saying so beautifully, we, we, we fix our focus on Jesus Christ. And then what happens? Well, then the fruit of the Spirit manifests itself in our lives. Gentleness, self-control, patience, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. We, that becomes the fruit of our life that we live in our marriage. I cannot make choices for my spouse, but I can make choices for me according to the work of the Spirit and the, the, the work of the Word within my heart and life. Mm-hmm. I can choose my own response. I cannot choose their choices, and I cannot choose how they're going to respond to me. And this is where the gospel comes into the home, um, in a good marriage or a bad marriage. Yeah. The gospel comes in by saying, I can only live according to what God empowers me to do through his word and spirit, and I can't do that for somebody else, but I can pray for them. Yeah. And if you're, if you're the spouse, you know, to use a lack of a better phrase, if you're the innocent party where your spouse is the one that's holding you in contempt and you know, treating you horribly, then recognize this, you're still a sinner and you're still going to sin against them. And so just because they have the bigger offense doesn't mean that you shouldn't continue to ask for forgiveness for the small things that you do on a regular basis. I know I've seen this before where, you know, once one spouse is guilty of the big thing and then the, the innocent party starts just and stops engaging with the other spouse and stops asking for forgiveness for the slights that they do to them on a regular basis. Dr. Beaky did a great message on um, ways to deal with criticism. 
And he, one of the things he said is that, you know, if you have a, a, a person who's criticizing you and you know that they, you know, basically 90% responsible for the offense between you, but if you have just the 10% or just the 5%, go and apologize for the 10% or the 5% because that actually has a way of softening the other person's heart. Right. So if you're the spouse that is, is not being treated rightly, brother or sister, still keep short accounts with your spouse. Mm-hmm. Ask for forgiveness. Be tenderhearted. That's the, the, what the, the scripture says, be tenderhearted and kind in forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. I think, going through adolescence all over again, I think <laughs> what happens is that we forget the power of the gospel. Yeah. And what we, what we realize and think is, well, my spouse is beyond the ability of the gospel to to change and to um, do anything about. And I just, we'll come back to this, I think, in the topics that are ahead, but um, Paul is, is talking in 1 Corinthians 6, and he says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? This isn't the verse that I want. Ah. Oh, here it is. I'm sorry. Earlier it says, The unrighteous won't inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Right. I think that's one of the most beautiful phrases in all of Scripture. And then he says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And the fact of the matter is, you could be in a marriage situation where you have somebody that, quite honestly, is not a great person, and surely not a great person to you. Just like you weren't a good person before Christ saved you. (laughs) But you have to continue to believe in the power of the gospel. Right. That God can wash, God can sanctify, God can justify. And so keep on keeping on in in those situations where it it looks hopeless. And from a human perspective, it might be hopeless. But we're not just in a human relationship. We're in a relationship where we have the the triune God involved in our hearts and lives and and have access to a power that's beyond um, the human ability to, to fully comprehend. And and so we continue to hopefully live out the gospel as far as living out the implications of the gospel, that we also are those that have been washed, that we're being sanctified, that we are just justified and are being justified. Mm-hmm. And our hope is that um, the Spirit of God can work in the hearts and lives of those that we interact with, and sometimes that's the interacting with somebody in our own home, um, our spouse that is at least at the moment, not walking in obedience to, to mm-hmm. Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and let me take this in, a, in another direction. Um, I, I think much discontent in marriage can be attributed to um, some myths of our culture, some romantic myths of our culture, that all of my happiness should be found in my marriage. Um, you know, we, we were all raised on Disney movies of, you know, seeing Snow White, you know, get, get the kiss from the handsome pr- prince and he carries her off into the sunset. 
uh, into the, this e- eternal happiness. And what secular culture often does is take a good thing that God has made and make an idol out of it. And secular culture has done that with marriage. Take a good thing that God has made and say, this is your ultimate happiness. This is your source for all happiness and contentment. And then we get into marriage and we find it frustrating and difficult. Wow, something's gone haywire. Well, no, it hasn't. You're a human being and you're broken by sin and it's going to be difficult. Um, So I want to ask the question uh, in, in terms of building a healthy marriage, do you have a good, healthy network of Christian friends outside of your marriage? In your church, do you have a, a healthy network of friends of other couples that you're connected with and that you're close with and they, that you can share your life with in addition to your marriage? Because we have a tendency, I, I think, to pack way too much emotional and spiritual freight on one relationship, on our marriage. Uh, that's a good gift from God. But God, doesn't, God never intended your marriage to, to pack, to hold all the emotional freight to be the only relation, human relationship that you have where you find comfort and joy. Uh, you need friendships too, and that's part of building a healthy marriage. And I think you have to make sure that we don't find our sufficiency in somebody else, but we find our sufficiency in Christ, yeah. that our identity is always in Christ, yep. that good marriage or bad marriage, that has to become a reality of each of our lives, that who I am is because of who I am um, because of my union um, with Jesus Christ. And, and Paul said in Philippians one twenty nine, not only has it been granted for you to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for him. And some of you are suffering in your marriage. And those aren't, those aren't wasted sufferings. Paul talks about sharing in the sufferings of Christ. You can actually know Jesus more intimately in the very providences that God has put you in. So don't, don't waste, you know, as Piper wrote in his book, Don't Waste Your Cancer, don't waste your marriage. Even if it's a bad marriage, you can actually know Christ and the gospel better um, as you share in his suffering. Well, that is the gospel for life today. We hope to see you next time. 